The Parsha of Tzav, 96 verses, like the word Tzav, 96. Tzadik is 90, Vav is 6. Hashem spoke to Moshe and this is what he said. There are certain sacrificial procedures from which the Kohanim derive little or no personal benefit. For example, the Ola offering, which is totally consumed on the altar, and the high priest daily grain offering. This being the case, you should convey these laws to the priests with particular emphasis, impressing upon them the importance of following them conscientiously nonetheless. Therefore, in transmitting these laws, do not just speak to Aaron, but command his sons emphatically and say, I previously taught you the procedure of sacrifices of Olah, but only up to and including how you are to burn it on the altar. This is the regulation on how to treat the sent offering after being placed on the fire. Although after it's slaughtered, it should preferably be placed on the altar fire during the day, it remains the same valid offering as long as it was placed on the fire pile atop the altar anytime during the night until the morning as long as the fire was burning throughout the night. If after the animal had been placed on the altar to burn, it's discovered that it should not have been designated as a sacrifice since it was disqualified for such a use even before being brought into the temple, for example, if it had been used in the act of bestiality, then it must not be allowed to continue to burn, but it be taken down on the altar. If, however, it was discovered that it had become disqualified solely on the account of some defect that occurred after it had been brought into the Mishkan, it wasn't, it wasn't slaughtered correctly, it wasn't the right intention, it may remain on the altar and continue to burn. These same regulations, that parts of the animal that must be burned up may be placed on the altar anytime during the night, apply to all animal sacrifices, not only to the Ola. Now, next point. Every morning, a priest must be appointed to carry out the following procedure. The designated priest must don his linen tunic, but first he must don his linen trousers directly on his flesh. After donning his tunic, he must put on his turban and sash. With his clothing, he must take a rake, lift out the innermost mass of ash into which the fire had consumed the daily offerings, as well as all the other offerings upon the altar. Basically, he sticks it into the ash. If there are still any unconsumed portions of the sacrifices amongst these ashes, he must put them back in the fire to burn. The priest must then deposit these ashes next to the south side of the altar, to the east of the ramp. Similarly, the ashes of the inner altar, of the the altar that was for spices, and the ashes from the burnt wicks of the menorah must be deposited at this location as well. All these ashes will miraculously sink into the ground over there. The daily removal and deposition of ashes is part of the daily process and must therefore be performed by the priest attired in his Kohen uniform, despite the risk that these garments might be sullied by the ashes, just as all the other sacrificial rites, like slaughtering, receiving, and applying blood, burning them, must be performed in the finery of the Kohen's uniform, despite the risk that they become dirty. Since only the innermost mass of ashes must be removed daily, the remaining ashes will eventually accumulate to the point that they impede the fire's ability to consume the offering. When this happens, the priest appointed to perform the daily ritual of removing the ashes must then remove the rest of the ashes, as we will describe now. But since this occasional removal of ashes is not a sacrificial rite, but only just a maintenance task, the priest's garments worn by performing usual sacrificial procedures should not be allowed to become sullied by this task. Accordingly, although the priest is not technically required to first change out of his 
usual priestly garments, he should nonetheless first remove his priestly garments, put on other priestly garments of inferior quality, must take the ashes out to a designated, ritually pure place outside the camp, the Jewish camp, and that will be known as the Ash Depository. The fire burning on the altar must not be allowed to go out, for although the divine fire descends from heaven to consume the sacrifices, you must start burning them up with fire produced by human agency and work. In other words, God will send his fire, but you have to make sure that the fire also, in a natural way, keeps on going. The priest chosen each day for the task must kindle fresh wood upon it every morning, and he must arrange the cut-up pieces of the morning daily Ola offering upon it. Meaning, this should be the first sacrifice offered each morning, such that no parts of any other sacrifice intervene between it and the fresh logs that were placed on in the morning. The Kohanim must burn up the fats of the peace offering as well as any other sacrifices that may be offered up that day upon the remains of the morning daily offering. Similarly, the last sacrifice each day must be the final Tamid offering. The fire that will burn upon the altar must also serve as the source of fire using to kindle the menorah, which must be lit regularly every evening. Now, the just articulated prohibition against letting the fire go out is repeated in order to make anyone who infringes on this liable to the two rounds of lashes. The fire on the altar must not go out. And there's also a deeper message over here, and that is the fire in our heart must never go out. We then move on to the grain offerings continued. This is the regulation of the grain offerings. It was mentioned previously that Aaron's sons must bring it up before burning it up to the southwest corner of the altar. In doing so, they are, present, they are presenting it simultaneously before God at the west side of the altar, which faces the entrance of the sanctuary, and the front of the altar, which is the south side, the location of the ramp used to ascend the altar. Now, the officiating priest must lift out, lift out its memorial portion, that part that he takes with his hand, from the whole of it, with his actual fist, from the fine wheat flour of the grain offering, as well from the oil and the spices, as we spoke about previously. Now, if two or more grain offerings become intermingled such that it's impossible to remove the memorial, the memorial portion of each one separately, they are both invalid. Aaron and his sons must eat whatever is left over from it. We're talking about the kosher kind. It must be eaten as unleavened bread like matzah in the holy place in the Mishkan territory. The requirement that the priest's portion must be eaten unleavened is also a passive commandment. In other words, it's not only a proactive commandment, it's also a prohibition. It must not be baked leavened. It has to be eaten like a matzah. Whatever is left over must be burned up. If the grain offering is brought up to atone for a sin, then, like the grain offering brought as a variable sin offering, it is disqualified if the priest does not separate and burn up its memorial portion with the intention that's considered a sin offering. But if the grain offering is just brought as a voluntary offering, then just like the animal guilt offering is not disqualified if the priest does not slaughter it with intention, so too this will not be disqualified. As we will just see soon, even if a priest has a, a, a Kohen has a blemish that disqualifies him, from, dis, disqualifies him from officiating in the daily rites, he's still allowed to eat the Kohen's portions of the sacrifice, including those of superior Kedusha, holiness. Moreover, Every such male amongst Aaron's descendants is entitled to his, receive his own equal portion of the Kohen's 
portions, and he may eat it together with the other koanim. This is an eternal entitlement throughout the generations. And then he finishes off anything, any non-sacrificial meat or any sacrificial meat of lesser holiness that touches a sacrifice of superior holiness will become holy like it. Meaning, it will become disqualified if the sacrifice it touches becomes disqualified, and the same restrictions about who to, can eat it and where to eat it will apply to it as well. Now, just on insights, Parshat Sav follows on Parshat Vayikra. And what it does is, it's, it's a continuation. Some of the sacrifices we spoke about last week's Parsha, we're going to add quality. In other words, we're going to add details. And some we're actually going to add quantity, like full new categories of law. And some of the stuff will be familiar, some of the stuff will be new. But Vayikra and Sava are really a companion that together they pretty much cover almost all of the sacrifices that are brought up.